All right, ladies and gentlemen, good morning to all of you here on this beautiful and gorgeous Saturday. This is the Snake Sports Talk Show, wherever and however you may be watching and listening today. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is where you can like and follow me on all social media platforms. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, channel. On the Spotlight Sports Network, your home for the Snake Sports Talk Show, and also subscribe to the Snake Sports Talk Show as well. And also follow me on Spotify for all of my latest podcast episodes. I am very excited for this morning. Um, so as everybody knows now, um, I know I ha- I just had a bunch on my plate. Um, but there are have been latest changes at least just from the timing schedule. So now the show will be on at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And and the only reason why is, is because, you know, I get up early in the morning almost every day. And that's whether I am or I am not on my workday. So that's usually how it is. And of course, every morning always consists of coffee. That's always just my usual morning day. Look, you could say what you want to. I could be a, I could be a boring person. It doesn't matter. But I think like an adult. So it doesn't really matter to me. So, uh, you know, I got some latest news and stuff like that, and I want to shift up to this. But before I do, uh, there was just a lot of things that were just kind of coming around. Um, you know, the NBA's got their hub city in Orlando. I'm going to be explaining about that a little bit later on here on this show. And, of course... Uh, the NHL, they have their hub cities. It's Toronto, Canada, and it's also Las Vegas, Nevada. So I'm very excited about that. And I do love these proposals and these plans. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, those are really just the kind of, those are really the only proposal plans that we have in place, uh, <clears throat> Major League Baseball. But, uh, you know, so we we got something. We got something up there in the air. So I'm very excited about that. So let me shift to this. So we're on the topic of the NFL because the NFL has always been king when it comes to sports topics, latest rumors, news, all sorts of stuff. So I remember before then in one of my latest um, live streams when I was talking about Dalvin Cook. Well, now the attention has now shifted to the focus of The New York Jets' safety, Jamal Adams. So there were lots of talks, even from last year's season. Listen, the Jets, for the last few years, have not been the best type of organization with the right people in the front office, the right coaching staffs, and they produced maybe minimal amounts of really good players. And I said this, I said this in my last live stream, that I think the Jets are finally in a position where they can make an impact. They're finally in a position where they can make an impact. I don't have to see Sam Darnold run for his life anymore after they drafted Mekhi Becton. He has a secondary receiver now in Denzel Mims out of Baylor. And um, this is good. This is good for Adam Gason for the Jets and for Sam Darnold also. But, however, now the reports and the rumors are leaking out about Jamal Adams. He's had enough. There's too much dysfunction. Nothing seems to be working. And he's wanting a trade. 
So, and this is kind of the toughest part for the Jets because I will t- I will be honest with you. This is a make it or break it season for the Jets. This is a make the playoffs or you're back to rebuilding again. You are still rebuilding up to this point. But, however, in their rebuild, this is their focus. They've got some impactful players. Sam Darnold has an offensive line now. He has at least somewhat of an offensive line that can protect him. And he's got weapons. He's got Lavian Bell. He's got Denzel Mims. He's got Prashad Perriman. He's got weapons. But now in this case, Jamal Adams, because this has been an ongoing thing since maybe last year or even the year before that. And, you know, a lot of it, I just feel like Jamal Adams feels like he doesn't get enough credit. He doesn't get enough credit in his position. Now, listen, Jamal Adams is a very impactful safety. Okay, he's one of the best safeties in the NFL. But the hard part of it is where the Jets are going. I've said this about Dalvin Cook. Because where Minnesota's going, they lost a ton of defensive pieces. They lost a ton of defensive pieces. And what did they get back? They drafted Justin Jefferson after letting go of Stephon Diggs. They ended up getting Jeff Gladney and a bunch of really good impactful safeties and secondaries because that was the position they needed. Okay, after Xavier Rhodes didn't play the same. Linval Joseph is a charger. Lots and lots of defensive frontliners and even linebackers moved on in Minnesota. Now Minnesota's in a reshaping mode in defense, but I still think they can be competitive. But that'll only be to the extent that Kirk Cousins will take them. Now, in the Jets' position, because I'll tell you this, Sam Darnold, he is he's definitely a franchise quarterback. I don't care what anybody says about Sam Darnold. If you're not paying attention to exactly what Sam Darnold is doing, look, forget about the ghosting and forget about all these other, you know, horrific games that he's had in, in, in currently in his young career. Outside of that, Sam Darnold is a franchise quarterback. Okay. Now, the thing about this is, and this is why that I look at Jamal Adams and I look at the potentiality that the Jets have. You're getting CJ Mosley back. He's an impactful linebacker you got out of Baltimore. There are also a few other really good impactful defensive pieces outside of Jamal Adams as well. Now, the secondaries might not be great because outside of Jamal Adams, who else do you really trust in the secondaries? That's the big question. But that is a decision that I'm sure that the Jets are going to come across, and it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fun. And look, Jamal Adams, as I've said, he's a very impactful safety. One of the best safeties in the NFL. And look, I can name maybe about a few, but there aren't really too many impactful safeties than what I was used to years ago. But of course, things change. Systems change. So in this case for Jamal Adams, I understand what he wants. I understand the frustration, the you know the patience, but then of course the lack of really kind of building a plan. I get that, and as I've said, I think the Jets are in the the best position 
that I think they can make a, a I don't think they're going to make a big leap, but they'll make some sort of a leap to where I think they can sneak in in the last position in the playoffs. I do think that they can because in their division in the AFC East, you've got New England who's taking a step back. You got Miami who's actually looking like a pretty decent team. And Buffalo, they just upgraded on a bunch of places. They upgraded more on defense. They got a star wide receiver in Stefan Diggs. So Buffalo it looks to be winning the East. And the Jets are right there in the middle of the pack. So whatever the Jets general managing is going to do about this, you better hope that he has the right decision about it. Because right now, where the Jets kind of sit in their position is not something even during a pandemic that they want to be coming across. They don't want to end up having to deal with more complications before a season starts. So that's the hard one. Because as I've said, in the Jets, in a make-it-or-break-it season, this is kind of like Jamal Adams' thing. Either pay me or I'm gone. A make-it-break-it deal. So I, I just think that's tough. I just think that's tough. And listen, people that know me, even for my colleagues, I'm very, very critique when it comes to certain players who I pay. Because most of the time, I mean, in a coach quarterback league, you got to pay for your franchise quarterback. You got to pay for your guy who's the face of the franchise and is the playmaker. The one who's impactful for this organization. Then it comes down to the tiers of all the other impactful positions. Okay, I said this about Dalvin Cook. Okay, running backs don't get a whole lot of love. That's the unfortunate part. But in the position that the Minnesota Vikings are in for Dalvin Cook, I don't think they could pay him. I don't think they could pay him. And I said this before, give me one more year, Dalvin Cook, and may and then we'll come to a decision that next year. But the second this holdout happens, it kind of pulls the strings. It's kind of the same when it comes to Jamal Adams. Now, there were some destinations for uh, Jamal Adams, as I get into this, that I think are, are real good, beautiful destinations. Now, he did mention about Tampa Bay. And why would he mention about Tampa Bay? Well, because... You know, Tampa Bay, they want to win. They're in a stacked NFC South. Okay, you're facing Drew Brees twice a year. You're facing Teddy Bridgewater twice a year. And even Matt Ryan. And Jamal Adams, he loves Tom Brady. Who doesn't love Tom Brady? That's one of the reasons why it's his number one choice. Of course it would be. But in other places, I mean... I can't even think of any other place that I think could afford a guy like Jamal Adams in his position because I think that, you know, secondaries, honestly, you would have secondaries who would either last for about maybe six to seven years and then eventually they kind of brush off and then we got to go and we got to end up reloading and we have to revamp the secondary position. So Tampa Bay is definitely top of the list for a guy like Jamal Adams because I just feel like that's an, uh, of course, it's an upgrade. Their defense is reshaping beautifully. And I think that having Jamal Adams in that secondary is just, you know, another icing on the cake. I think that's the one that makes this thing happen. Um, a couple of other destinations, honestly, that I think could work. I'm just not sure of it. Um, 
but I'm almost thinking Denver. I'm almost thinking Denver. People may call me crazy. People may call me crazy when they hear me say that because, listen, Denver, I wouldn't. I personally would not want them to be too impactful, but I know Denver will be. But think about it. If they add a guy like Jamal Adams and then you've got A.J. Bouye there, that secondary is ridiculous. That mile-high secondary along with the linebacking and that defensive front line, come on. That, that would be ridiculous. That would be ridiculously good, and Drew Locke would feel great about himself. Um, and finally, I think the other really good destination that I think would could potentially work, um, and again, Dallas had an opportunity at a guy like Jamal Adams, but I just don't think now in their position of where they stand at with Dak Prescott and everybody else, I don't think Dallas now would be in that position anymore. They would have been, but it would have been too much of a cost. It would have been too much of a loss. Um, but I think that the other impactful team, I think they could potentially make this work. I mean, think of it this way. Pittsburgh, they got Minka Fitzpatrick, and their defensive secondaries were holding on. Now, I don't know anybody else outside of Pittsburgh that might make this work, but... You know, if you think about it, Minka Fitzpatrick and Jamal Adams, that's a steel curtain secondary. One that I think would be very impactful, especially in an AFC North where you're facing Jam uh, Lamar Jackson twice a year. You're facing Joe Burrow twice a year and Baker Mayfield, which, you know, it's Baker Mayfield in times. But I think things are changing. So I think that would be very, very interesting up to this point. But those would be my three. Tampa. Denver and Pittsburgh, I think would be ideal situations and ideal places and ideal fits for a guy like Jamal Adams. But I just think that right now, especially where the Jets are sitting at up to this point, I just think it's too risky. I just think it's way too risky up to this point. And again, I love Jamal Adams. I think he's a very, very impactful safety in that secondary. But I just think right now, it's, it's too soon. Too soon for any kind of decision. Let me shift to this. So the NBA has a hub city. They're playing in Orlando. You know, because who doesn't want to be at Disneyland? In a Disney world, I should say. Um, but I'm very happy about the fact that, the, you know, the NBA has found their hub city for a comeback season. Now, it either may be a comeback season or it may end up being a playoff run. but. Um, but the latest thing about the NBA, and this is kind of something that I would discuss a little bit thorough before we go into break. So, again, the NBA, much like the NFL and much like the NHL, they, they have had a plan in place. Adam Silver has been really, really good when it comes to his players. Now, the only hard part is there's an unfortunate event that's happening nationwide. And we all know about it. We all know about it. We're listening. We're learning. And we're, <clears throat> we're coming to that conclusion that we're trying to understand it. We're trying to be a little bit more understanding. Because listen, in society, and this is what I've come to realize for you know past couple of months, 
even a year ago. But the thing about it is, we've come to as a society where there's some things we get, and then there's a whole lot we have a tendency we don't understand. And then we say, oh, it's okay. You know, it's all it's all good. Is it? I mean, there's lots of things that are happening currently in the world. Every single day. I look, I don't have cable in my household because it's just it's too much to bear. Too much to bear every day. I don't know how people do it. But the thing of this is the NBA, they want their season to come back, which I really do believe that it should. And I think it would be great. It's not just for the ratings, but it's for the fans. But it's for the fans who tune in because, again, the sports that have gone on, people tune in the NFL all the time. That's because the NFL's king. There's bets. There's bets involved. And plus two, it's a Sunday. Sunday fun day. Why not just watch a little bit of some NFL? Watch Patrick Mahomes throw darts and bullets. How about watching Lamar Jackson run and you know he plays like Houdini in his position? Then you have the NBA. The NBA, a star-driven league, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Kyrie Irving, um, lots and lots of star players. And the fans enjoy that. The fans love it because they love following their favorite star player. Look, I don't there are fans that I know that are diehard team fans. And then there are some who I know are like player fans like myself. I don't have a particular team, but I did watch the NBA years ago. And I thought it was interesting. But ever since then, I come to the conclusion that I just love certain players. I love to watch. I love watching Clay Thompson. I love watching Kawhi Leonard. I love watching Giannis. I love watching Luca and even Donovan Mitchell. Lots and lots of these players that I'm just like, you know, I love this kid. I say this all the time about certain players. But the NBA, there's only one thing right now that's kind of holding a lot of things back. And that is the current social injustices that's happening nationwide. And it's, it's tough. It is hard. I know. And I understand. And as I've said before, I don't take sides. I'm a supporter. I'm also someone who is even keeled, balanced, try to be at least a voice of reason. Because in the end, as I've said, when we're in a nation where it's side versus side, um, you know, I don't want to get too political, but when you got Democratic versus Republican, you could tell, you could tell just the 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 division between the two. You can tell. So in the NBA, the one thing of it is because Kyrie Irving came out with this: the players don't want to end up playing because there's some unfinished business involved, and that involves the social injustice. And I just look at it this way: that. 
I understand with everything happening, I'm listening and learning as I go, like I do in most of you know, in most of my life. But in this particular situation, because fans have been without sports, without content for the past three, close to four months. I mean, the only ones who luckily had been able to play is NASCAR. They've been able to race without fans because think about it. NASCAR, you're in your own vehicle, you're driving, and it it's safe. It's a safe environment, and the only people held accountable are the crew members. That's it. That's it. Golf would be a, another another sport as well because you got your favorite golfer, whether it's Tiger, whether it's Phil. I mean, we watch the matchup, right? Didn't we all enjoy how much fun it was? They didn't have too much commotion. They didn't have so much fear. They're out in South Beach. It's a little bit rainy. It's a little bit moist. But we all watched the match, right? I mean, it got over millions, if not billions of views. Lots of likes. But that's because of the content the fans are getting. I understand with what the players are going through. I understand. But think about it this way. This is why I also made my point about Major League Baseball. Why they're not currently playing. Why they don't have a plan in place. Because in the middle of all of this, sports to me personally, because a lot of people can argue about it. They Some people do believe that sports is a distraction. People, sports, they believe sports is a distraction that steers us away from the, from the problem that is at hand. I honestly, look, I have my own opinion about that. But I think sports, in a way, unifies us. It unifies us. Because here's the thing. We watch sports all the time. We watch our star players. We watch our favorite team. And we just see how the team comes together. They come together and they mesh. Because that's what it's all about. Unification. If sports does that on a daily basis, what's to say the nation would, wouldn't? What's to say that the nation couldn't completely come to grips, come to terms, mesh, and come to a solution to the problems? Listen, these have been some ongoing problems for years. Yes, I do get that. But to not play, I mean... If you're playing at your own risk, that's fine. But to not play because there are, there's unfinished business, I mean, how could you even get how can you even finish the business if you ain't got nothing going on? That's my only question. But I just feel like the NBA, I'm excited for them to be back, but I just feel like that if the players hold out in this, I feel like there wouldn't be anything that would that would be accomplished by this. I just don't think that. That's why I'm like, think about this very, very thoroughly. If you're not on the court, if you're not working out, if you're not playing, there are going to be some serious matters and some serious questions ahead. And I understand with what Kyrie Irving's trying to say and with a lot of players. And by the way, Austin Rivers came out with something that I thought was very, very powerful. And it made sense, gave a voice of reason, like myself, voice of reason. 
Look, I know that there are unfinished business, and I know that there are trying times and unprecedented times. I've been seeing it every day when I walk out of my apartment complex. <laughs> but here's the thing. It doesn't stop me from playing the game. It doesn't stop me from going to work. It doesn't stop me from anything else. Because I do stay true to my own to my own perspectives, my own words, and just how I live life, like most of us. And the only way for something like this to even change and to be better, you got to play. That's my only thing. Get the uplift. Give the fans an uplift. Because honestly, the fans have done their part. They've stayed safe. They've stayed healthy. And I feel like this would be such a beautiful, enriching reward. I feel like it would. That's why I'm like, think about this very thoroughly. I truly hope that we get sports back for sure. And I know we will. Coming up next, I'm going to be talking at least a little bit about Major League Baseball because now there's another proposal in place. There is no countering this proposal, and I'll explain a little bit more on that coming up next. And then, of course, um, we have some latest news in hockey. So um, Toronto Maple Leafs forward Austin Matthews, who I think was set to being a Hart Trophy candidate, now has COVID. How will that impact the rest of the hockey world? And I'll explain about that a little later on coming up right after uh, the breaks. Don't go anywhere. Snake Sports Talk Show.
Welcome back, everybody. Hope that you all are having a beautiful, fabulous Saturday morning. I know I am for sure. Uh, I can't wait, really, to kind of get back into the groove of things. Been away from it for a while, but I'm super excited to be, um, you know, because afterward, you know, I'm having my workouts and stuff like that. You know, it's just kind of something that, you know, I, I, I had done like months ago. I was definitely on a groove for sure. Um, but then, of course, I took a step back because of some important life decisions. And it's just gotten me to the point of, you know what? I've been away for too long. So I'm starting to get that back up. I'm really, really excited about that. Um, so <clears throat> as I've said before, talking about Major League Baseball, there have already been so many proposals that have been sent, and all of them have not worked. So this is the thing now. This is the latest news that I had seen for Major League Baseball. And they said that they will not counter players' latest offer and they're sticking to 60 games at full prorated salaries. So what does that mean? So I said this before that I think that the proposal should at least be 80 games because think about it. NBA and NHL, they all play 80 games. And at least it's a cushion for all the teams, for all 30 clubs to get their chances to, you know, shaking the rust off after a long, long pause so that that way then they perform better. So MLB has informed the association that it will not respond to our last proposal and will not play more than 60 games. This was the MLBPA. Our executive board will uh, convene in the near future to determine next steps. Importantly, players remain committed to getting back to work as soon as possible. So, again, this, this is a complicating matter. This has been a complicating matter now for months. And this has been something where I went off on Major League Baseball about. Because NFL, NHL, and the NBA all have had plans, but Major League Baseball doesn't seem to have a true plan in place. And here's the thing about it, because this is the clash. This is the clash in the middle of a pandemic because we're worried about the money. The players, this is their side. Players are pissed off because of the fact of the owners are still making the money. They're cutting, they're trying to cut their pays. And it it's a risk. And it's a risk for these players. And the players are saying, no, 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 no. No, we're not going to end up doing that. Because, listen, Blake Snell came out. And, again, I, certain players and certain people, as I've known in the world, have tendencies to do this. They stand for something. They stand for something that they know that they believe in, that they either think is right or wrong. Whatever the difference may be, or they just meet in the middle, they become, you know, they try to make a voice of reason. But, however, the tendency that we have as human beings is it gets difficult to deliver. It gets difficult to deliver that thought. Something that just hits you just like that. And so, in baseball situation, because they're going to stick to 60 games, 
So I think it would be interesting, but I'm kind of fed up at this point. I mean, I've said this before. I'm very much fed up. If this gets rejected once again, there won't be a baseball season. There won't be a baseball season because it's too much clashes. It's too much of this. And there is no resolution. There is no silver lining. There's nothing that can balance this whole silly charade. There's nothing. And as I've said before, Major League Baseball was able to come to terms with Turner Broadcast on a multi-million dollar contract to broadcast baseball games. Well, how can you do that if you got no baseball going on currently in a pandemic? It makes no sense. Now, I understand it's a deal that needed to be done, but now you signed that contract, but we have no games currently broadcasting on our televisions right now. And that's the stuff that we're hungry for. We're starving for sports. We're starving to see the players. We're starving to see, you know, sports live in action, whether it's baseball or football or basketball or hockey. You know what's interesting, though, too? And listen, I listen to the herd almost all the time. And a lot of people have their a lot of people have their opinions about him. I have my own. You know, and so. Colin Cowherd came out and played devil's advocate to Rob Manfred because I don't think in this entire situation, now I get it, Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball, and there have been certain things that he's gone on about. I mean, the Astros cheating scandal, the Boston Red Sox's cheating scandal. Then, of course, you know, you got this pandemic and all this other stuff. And really, the only commissioners who've shined on top would either be Roger Goodell, Adam Silver, a little bit of Gary Bettman. But Rob Manfred, I mean, there hasn't been much. And so Colin Cowherd came out and played devil's advocate to a guy, to, honestly, to a commissioner who right now just there's no plan in place. This was calling cow. This was this was cow heard earlier on the herd and explaining about uh, the situation with Major League Baseball and with Mob Rob Manfred. It's ours. It's got history. It's got regulated violence. It fits perfectly on a TV screen. We bet it. Betting's now legal in America. And also, and this is not a small thing. It may be the biggest thing. It has the most popular and streamlined minor league system. We all watch high school football on Friday, and then college football on Saturday, and then the NFL on Sunday. And we know the guys as they enter the league. It's the most popular. Even if you put Gary Bettman running the NFL, it would be the most popular. What's the second most popular? Not very good on television. Now, it's fast. It's fun. It's got regular. Either way, NFL, NBA, baseball, hockey, MLS, they're all in the order they should be in. Football's number one because it is totally ours. It is totally domestic. It's got the most popular streamlined system. It's the best on TV, and we bet it the most. It's been that way for 30 years, regardless of the commissioner. You're all banging on Rob Manfred. 
There's a reason Major League Baseball's executive office is filled with labor lawyers. <laughs> because they're in a labor fight every 12 years in this league. And I know what you're saying. Rob Manfred, he just doesn't promote, doesn't have. There are great strengths to baseball. It's history. It's unbelievable in the postseason. It's big in major cities, New York, Boston, Philly, L.A. It's bad Chicago. It's great. San Francisco, Dallas, Atlanta, it's great. But a lot of things, he just banging his head up against the wall like the last nine commissioners. Here's Rob Manfred. I think we'll have baseball. I think this job is brutal. Is it the toughest commissioner job? I don't know. I think they're all really, really tough. I'd rather be the baseball commissioner than perhaps the hockey commissioner because I do have a ton of history. And there are certain cities in this country where baseball is so popular. St. Louis, Detroit, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston, Dallas, Atlanta. But it's really difficult. Baseball's a really hard sport. Even if you want change, it's different in football. I mean, Roger Goodell wants change. Joy's brother was a Hall of Fame football player. He wants change. Roger Goodell can have it by the end of the weekend. NFL owners have been much more willing over time. You don't have the labor strife of baseball. Football, I think, is an easier sport to regulate. Not saying it's easy. Easy is compared to baseball. It's hard. It's international. It's billionaires. I don't even think a lot of these owners anymore in baseball, I'll be honest with you, I don't think they love baseball. They're like venture capitalist hedge fund guys, even in the front office. Baseball is a bunch of Ivy League guys. Most never played baseball at any level. There's part of it that I think is a little understandable, but here's the deal. I think in this case, and this is where I kind of speak out amongst this, because number one, I don't think that because of where baseball is sitting at is because of popularity issues. I said this over and over and over again. The reason why NFL gets a lot more views is very popular. And of course, um, lots, lots of people bet on it. It's a shorter season, 16, 17 weeks a year. And then you have playoffs and then you have the Super Bowl, you know, and so it has nothing to do with as far as trying to be the most popular sport in America. The thing of this is with Major League Baseball, and he makes an absolute great point when it comes to the owners. You have to think of some of these owners in place, okay? Because when you think of a company, owners own, okay? There are some great owners, and then there are some owners that are just there because they made a bid, they won the bid, and they own the company. But the people... Honestly, in the offices, in those front offices that you got to trust are the ones that are your general managers because he gets the earful from the owner unless if things aren't really going right. But then that's when the general managers have the managers, the ones who are the movers and the shakers, even when it comes to baseball, when you set a lineup. That's why I'm like, let the manager set the lineup for once. Because, listen, it shouldn't even be in the position where it's coming from the general manager's office. The general manager doesn't really set the tone of the lineup. Managers do. 
And that's why I keep saying all the time that managers need to have power when it comes to setting the lineup. Because if he he's the only one that he talks to players. He talks to players. He communicates with players. He coaches them. So he understands and he sees it every single day and in every play of the game. He pays attention to it. The general manager, I can argue, basically deals a lot with the financials. That's everything. Merchandise, player contracts, uh, so much more. Even season ticket holders trying to get fans in the stands and to keep the lights running in the stadiums, in the fields, the ballparks. All of that. General manager has to deal with all that. Now the owner, because the owner owns, the owner all he has to do is just making sure that the team is the, the 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 organization is running well. And that's why I think some of it, because I do know the difference between great owners and not so great owners. Because not so great owners, um, let me see. Um, James Dolan, why the Knicks have been terrible for years now, and they haven't even gotten a break in the NBA. That's why I'm like, just sell the team, James. Just sell the team because it's too much pressure. But this whole idea with M- with MLB, this whole idea with baseball, it has nothing to do with the fact of popularities because we know this. NFL is popular. NBA is second popular. And that's because the NBA is a star-driven league. There's different uniforms that they show off at different times. There's also different... Um, fashions and uh shoes you know that that players wear and it and it rent it gets all the rant and raves because fans love that fans absolutely love that they love the fact that their favorite player comes out with this type of fashion and comes out with these types of shoes and so um they like to show it off but in major league baseball and this is why i kept saying that that this would be my type of proposal number one this is why that I, I I understand what as far as these pay cuts go. And this is one of the reasons why I also look at the owners and say, listen, you know who are the people that are really, really lacking in the middle of all this? Um, I don't know. Why don't you talk why don't you talk to the concession people? I know one person who works in a concession business, and he has told me, I'm not gonna get too much into to detail, and I won't say his name, but have told me the difficulties of what has been happening since the pandemic hit. There have been tough decisions that had to be made. And why? There are no fans in the stands. You can't sell products to anybody. You can't sell food, drinks. You can't even you can't even give the, the, the fans a convenience at all because of this pandemic. You're lucky enough that you've got merchandise sales because people buy stuff online all the time. That's why Amazon is there. But this is why I'm just like, all of this kind of stuff is ridiculous between the players and the owners because the owners still want portions of their money. That's kind of how it is. The players, and that's why I say there are some players who make X amount of money, but I understand what they're saying with as far as the amount of pay cuts. I would only say to me personally that if there was a fair amount of pay cut in order to get the sport of baseball back, I'd do it. I'd do it. Because to me, 
this isn't really my biggest importance. This comes when you make the right decision. If you're not on the field, if you're not playing, and if you're not practicing, how are you going to make the money? And it's the same thing when it comes to ownership. How are you going to keep the lights running if you got nothing going on? That's just how I stand with that. But if this gets rejected again, I'm fed up and I'm done with baseball. I'm just done with baseball up to this point because it's it's become so tone deaf that it's like you can't even you can't even come to a silver lining, you can't even come to a balance and you can't even come to a resolution with this whole issue. And it's hard and it's just ridiculous and it it kind of hurts the fans when it comes to we love baseball. I've watched baseball ever since I was in diapers. My real father played minor league baseball. He played minor league baseball. My pops played baseball. You know who was his backup catcher? Uh, Mike Sweeney in high school. And after he hurt his knee, Mike Sweeney became the biggest thing in Kansas City. Okay, so baseball's run through my veins. It's run through my bloodstream. And it always has and always will be. Because I love the game. If the game has taught me anything, it's taught me about life. It's taught me to see life in different perspectives and in different eyes. That's why I love it. But if you can't come to a decision like this, that's embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. You might as well just give the greatest game that it ever played to get, uh, the NFL, maybe even the NBA, or if you're lucky enough, NHL. But we all know NHL is, is pro-Canadian. That's just the way that it is. It's Canadian. It's Russian. It's Swedish, all sorts of things. And that's the thing about baseball of it, because and why I love it, because there's talent everywhere, too. There's talent in Puerto Rico. There's talent in uh, the Dominicans. There's talent in Cuba. There's talent in Japan. All over. That's why I'm just like, you need to come to a decision. You need to work this thing out. Coming up next, I'll be talking a little bit more on the NHL just before we get into hour two of the show. And uh, I'll be breaking down a little bit more on the NHL and, of course, their hub cities. So don't go anywhere. Snake Sports Talk Show.
All right. So, uh, you know, just before we ended up going up into the break, uh, as I mentioned, you know, the NHL, I have been very, very happy of the fact that, you know, Las Vegas now is home of the hub city now for NHL's comeback. I'm really, really excited about that. Also, Toronto, Canada has been announced as a hub city for the NHL's comeback. So you've got the Western Conference in Vegas and you've got the Eastern Conference in Toronto. And I think it's fair. I was a little bit kind of skeptical of the Toronto thing because I'm just like, I'm not sure what the travel restrictions or the, um, you know, the, the requirements it is to travel into north of the border. I wasn't sure how that was going to end up working out, but apparently they've come to that kind of decision and they were able to work things out with the travel restrictions and the, um, and also with dealing with COVID. So, I'm very, very excited about that. Now, the hardest news, of course, that we ended up hearing in hockey is Toronto Maple Leafs star forward Austin Matthews was tested positive for COVID-19 while he was up in Arizona. Now, I don't know how exactly it happened and don't know where, but um, this almost kind of raises a... You know, this almost kind of raises a concern for hockey because I want hockey back. I truly, truly do want hockey back. I think the fans out here in Vegas want hockey back because it wasn't so much of a hockey town years ago. And I was born and raised here my entire life. And the second Vegas gets a hockey team in 2017, things changed. Things absolutely changed. The town itself and just the the vibe had all changed. It's very energetic. I love it. I can't I can't go a day without it. I can't. It's probably the best. And now Vegas has a minor league hockey team in the Henderson Silver Knights, which is just close by to where I'm at. So, and I I love seeing the the view of the facility And I just can't wait for hockey to come back. Now, the concern with Austin Matthews with COVID-19. Now, there were a couple of proposals, and I'll break it down, is Bowers coming out with um, a not really a glass, but kind of like a face shield for the players and even for um, for the referees and the officials. So I think it's smart. I think it's really smart. And really, when you think about it with hockey, because it's around a glass wall, there's really not so much of activity. That's why I just I kept thinking that when it came to COVID, the only people I'd hold accountable are the staff members. That's the training. That's the training staff. That's uh, all the medical personnel. That's everybody that's involved that you know are hands on, just to make sure that these players are safe, healthy, and you know they're they're continuing their pace of play. You know, I and I think it's going to be interesting. I think it would be interesting by the time that we get hockey back. I can't wait for it. And I know a lot of people have their concerns about it, about, well, what are they going to do with the fans? Well, here's the thing. We can't even talk about fans if we ain't got sports going on currently. Until we get to that point where they can not just open the floodgates, I would much rather be in the safest position possible. Um, Until they're able to open their doors one by one, I'm just I, I'm just the kind of person that says, look, let's just get this over with. Let's get sports going. Let's at least get new content out. And it's for the sake of the players, and it's also for the sake of the fans. So 
Because once that happens, the fans will be happy for it. The fans will absolutely be happy for it. So I'm just really, really excited about it. I can't wait for it to start anytime sooner. And I'm sure there are going to be other proposals in place. So I can't wait for it. Hour two coming up next here on the Snake Sports Talk Show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back here to the Snake Sports Talk Show Hour 2. We are live in Las Vegas, wherever and however you may be watching and listening today. I, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook is where you can like and follow me on my, my social media platforms. Also, subscribe to the YouTube channels of the Spotlight Sports Network and the Snake Sports Talk Show. And also follow me on Spotify for all of my latest podcast episodes. You know, I haven't really gotten into the point of doing my podcast episodes in like months. Um, so I'm slowly trying to get myself back into that groove of things. And um, so I can't wait to get that started because there were a lot of things that I was like trying to kind of tackle on and really kind of um, balance out and really try to, you know, do this and that. Um, so. You know, and like I said, it's it's tough, but at the same time, doesn't doesn't mean it's not. You know, it, 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 there won't be a solution in there. Absolutely, there will be. You know, it just takes a little bit of time, takes a little bit of a, an adjustment. But man, like I said, it was it, this has been like a fun day just to be you know on here on the set and on the show with you guys. Um, so I had just gotten this actually. Um, this is kind of just outside of really just the other sports realms, but I remember watching this guy and I remembered, um, when I was a kid, just kind of see my pops years ago. And this is kind of just the story of it. My pops years ago, um, 
Because when I met him at four years old, he was working for a medical company that was delivering a lot of medical goods. That was medical chairs, uh, medical beds, oxygen tanks, all sorts of stuff. But then eventually he ended up getting into power sports, and that was dirt bikes, quads, motorcycles, all sorts of the stuff. What was nice about that is, is because we were able to go to the events of Supercross almost every year, every year when I was a kid. And I loved it. I loved every moment of it because it wasn't just, you know, the roars of the crowds and all that, but it was just the excitement and the adrenaline that pumps up. So we went to everywhere. I mean, we went to Sam Boyd Stadium most of the time out there. We even went to um, the Garden and everything else out here. And and and, I, and we even went to you know the Orleans Arena for freestyle. Like it was a lot of fun, and it's definitely something because I think last year, yeah, last year I was over at uh, Supercross and I it was such a great time. Brought back so many memories and. It was like I was kind of shaking the rust off my shoulders because it had been so long. It had been years since I had last gone to a Supercross event. So uh, the news is is that one of the Supercross legends and also Hall of Famer, uh, Chad Reed, says goodbye and retires from the Monster Energy AMA uh, Supercross. You know, Chad Reed is such a great guy, such a lovable guy. And I just remembered years ago watching him um, so the power sport that my, my pops worked at was mostly Yamaha. So that was mostly, you know, Yamaha dirt bikes, motorcycles, um, quads as well. Um, and so he was, you know, he was the face of the brand, you know, he was the face of the brand at the time, you know, and there were lots of really, really big time stars who had been there, you know, him and then Bubba Stewart, Lots and lots of really good talents that were coming out of Team Yamaha. And Chad Reed, amongst all these other Supercross legends, I mean, there are so many that I can name of. I mean, Jeremy McGrath was an absolute beast. I mean, just watching him in so many of the Supercross events, it was undeniably enjoyable to watch. Um, Other really good superstars, I mean, Ricky Carmichael, I mean, he was he was definitely one of my favorite Supercross legends. I mean, just watching him and how competitive that he was on the tracks. So this was what was the interesting part. This is what I grew up with. I grew up with Chad Reed, Ricky Carmichael, Jeremy McGrath, and Bubba Stewart, and a little bit of Kevin Windham and some and and so many others. And. That, I think, was probably the best time I'd ever watched Supercross. The best time I ever watched Supercross. Because you were watching all of these competitive um, Supercross racers who would be out on the dirt tracks. And adrenaline's pumping. It's close. Close races. I mean, listen. I'm the type of guy that I love races. Like, I love NASCAR. I even love... Supercross. I just love something where it's just competitive to where it's like, you know, you're in the final laps and you're like this close. I mean, it's a grinder and anything can happen in the middle of a race and where, you know, lanes change all the time. And um, there's lots of guys that are very, very strategic of it. And Chad Reed to me, like when I watched him race, I mean, he was definitely a natural, nice guy. 
you know, I have a couple of um, you know, I have a couple of autograph pictures of some of the Supercross guys from Team Yamaha, and he was definitely one of them. I mean, he's an absolute legend, you know. And and amongst guys like Jeremy McGrath, Ricky Carmichael, Bubba Stewart, I mean, he's right there on that list. Those are probably the four best that I could think of. The four best. Now I know we have some up and coming guys, like we have, you know, some some young guys. I mean, think about it, Ryan Viapoto. Ryan Viapoto was a hell of a, a of a racer. You know, young kid, very competitive. Ryan Dungey. Um, some current racers right now. I mean, Ken Roxon. Ken Roxon's the you know the biggest rant and rave. And then you have Cooper Webb, who had recently been the champion. And, you know, even Cooper Webb is an up and coming. And then you got Eli Tomac. So there are a lot of these up and coming young supercross racers out there that, I mean, when you compare the two, when you compare to the ones that I grew up watching as a kid compared to the ones that I, I watch currently, I mean, the ones that I watched as a kid, man, was, God, it was exciting. It got the, it got the adrenaline pumping. It got my heart racing most of the time. And it was so much fun. And of course, the best part of it was was enjoying it with with friends. So, I just wanted to send this special thank you to Chad Reed because watching you over the years, you know, you were definitely a natural talent. You were such a down to earth, nice, nice person, amazing guy. And I wish the absolute best in your retirement. And it's been a hell of a run. It's been an absolute hell of a run, you know, and like I said, I loved the, uh, the Yamaha days, you know, there were lots and lots of memories back then, you know, and, and the competitive, the, you know, the competitive years when it came to, you know, Chad Reed, Ricky Carmichael, Bubba Stewart, and so many others. Um, it was so much fun to watch. It was so much fun to watch. And over the years, as I look at all these now young um, new competitive supercross racers. I mean, they got a long ways to go, but when I look at different eras of supercross, I mean, late nineties, early two thousands, uh, those were the years. Those were the absolute years, but enjoy this retirement. Enjoy this time with family. And thank you so much for all of the great and fun memories um, we'll definitely miss you out on the track. And, um, like I said, it's been a hell of a run, been an absolute hell of a run. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, but before I do, um, what we'll be having coming up next, because, um, you know, as I've said, because now with these hub cities finally coming out, I think the, cause the NHL is going to be fine. I think the NHL is going to be absolutely fine. With all of this, regardless of the Austin Matthews COVID catch, I think the NFL, the NHL is going to be in place to where it's safer environment. Everything's going to be fine. Don't panic. You know, the last thing that we need even during this pandemic is another panic. Um, so, it, you know, like I said, these hub cities are great. These hub cities are great, and I can't wait for the players. They've already got they're already got into the facilities, um, and they're already starting to do their workouts. They're already starting to get you know to shake off the rust and getting back into where they were before this pause. So I'm excited to see that. I'll be talking a little bit more on that coming up next. Um, 
And also, too, I'll be talking a little bit more on the NFL because I think that there are some things we need to get out of the way when it comes to quarterbacks for the future. And there are a couple of them in particular that I think have a better possibility in year two. Now, we know I've already discussed about rookie quarterbacks, but now I'll be talking about the quarterbacks of year two who I think are going to pop. You don't want to miss that Snake Sports Talk Show.
Welcome back, everybody. Hope you guys are having a fun-filled, beautiful Saturday here today. I am so glad to still be here in the studio. You know, there was just so much to, uh, like, you know, to talk about and stuff like that. Um, so what's kind of hard now is, and again, I don't want to end up having to change, you know, uh, just the vibes of everything that's just been kind of going on here at the show, but, um, but right now, and I said this, I've even said this off, off record to my colleagues and to a lot of my friends and a lot of my family members, but we're starting to see some spikes right now of COVID-19 cases and a lot more players now are being tested positive for COVID-19. And, and I just think that because of everything that's just happening right now, um, it's happening so rapidly and it's happening in numbers that I, I, you know, as I've told people, because I know with everything going on, there are some a lot of uncertainties, but at the same time, if we forget of the fact too that there are lots of safeties involved and a lot of things to try to ensure people's safety and their health, um, it's going to be a complete risk factor. It's going to be a complete risk factor for everyone, and which is why that I've always still to this day continuously encourage just be safe, be healthy, be smart. You know, be courteous to a lot of people because we don't know when this is going to end. We don't know when this is going to end and hoping that there will be a solution in place. But right now, because there are college athletes now that are getting tested positive for COVID-19. We know, as I've said before, Austin Matthews is tested positive for COVID-19. And so what's happening is, too, because with no baseball going on, Facilities are temporarily closed until, you know, some sort of deal gets in place. Now they know, now I know that they're sanitizing their entire facilities just to be prepared for stuff like that. But as I've said, I'm not even sure what's going to happen in Major League Baseball if we do or don't have a season. But, you know, now they're cleaning up these facilities and making sure that everything is sanitized and everything is safe for the players, for the staffs and for the, you know, the, the people working in these facilities. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough challenge. And I could tell you this, that even in the last couple of months, just kind of learning and listening to everything that's been happening, it's been quite the, it has been quite the story. It has been quite the story and probably one story I'm sure what might make a lot of people cringe might make a lot of people kind of uncomfortable for, because look, we all have gone through something during these unprecedented times. I have myself. And as I, as I can tell you, I mean, behind this mic and you guys seeing me here on this camera and just being on the air, you know, I'm living, I'm living life one pitch at a time, you know, and I, and I am just doing what I can to basically survive through another day. But also at the same time, I'm listening and learning and I'm processing and trying to not try to put the pieces together. That's not on the only thing, but kind of trying to see this whole thing from the inside out. I think the problem of it is as well, too, is that we see so much of the outside. We see so much of the outside. Think about it. Because look, my circle has been so small and I've always been, I just now have, I just now come to the conclusion of just live my life privately. 
you know, because you just don't even know who you'd come across and the people that are there that they think they, they know you, but really don't know the true story. They don't know the whole story in place from thick and thin, you know, and, and, and it's interesting because we all watched the last dance, right? We all watched the documentary. Do you know how private Michael Jordan's life was about? I mean, he, he was the the type of person that was so closed and focused. He didn't care what anybody said about him. He didn't care about what other people doubted him for or thinking, you know, he was so self-centered and he was selfish and all this other stuff. He didn't care about that because here's the thing. Michael Jordan in his competitive stature, I mean, elevated guys like Scottie Pippen and parts of it, Dennis Rodman and Tony Kukoc and Steve Kerr and even elevated guys like Phil Jackson. You know, because the thing of it is, when you look at the Chicago Bulls and you look at that last year, that was what the Bulls needed. They needed some push. They needed something to keep them motivated and to just see the light at the end of the tunnel. That was the championship. And you had to be that kind of guy. And in the end, Michael, he's living a private life. He's living a private life. He doesn't share so much of himself to the world because why? Why does he need to? Listen, I understand when it comes to public figures and when it comes to public faces, but does it have to be all the time? I mean, I can only I can only imagine, think about it. When you're a Hollywood movie star and your face is around the paparazzi every day and they just see you and it's like, Am I ever going to live a private life? Am I ever going to just, you know, be in public places? Just mind my own business without somebody going and say, hey, look at that guy over there. I know that guy. And then then you get flooded with all these people. And it's like they, they, they want something new out of you. But it's like, doesn't really matter. You know, when Michael Jordan lives a private life. You know, the only thing that he clings closest to him are his closest friends, his family, and you know, even to himself. That's all really he needs. You know, and I I now live this kind of life. Look, yeah, things have happened in the course of months. It almost felt like a domino effect, but you know what? I've learned to just live my my private life. Because honestly, like, look, I know what's happening in the world. I don't need to be reminded every day. I already under I already know that and I've given my piece of the pie with this whole thing. You know, I've 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 shed a, a light on the subject. But when you think about it in just you know the 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 era we live in now, the type of society that we live in now, that's why social media is so impactful because people see the things you do in your life. And that's why they react, they comment, they say this and say that. And, and listen, I'm just the type of person that it, like, it really doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me what a lot of people think and a lot of people say. Because honestly, the only person that you really should stick true to is your, yourself. That's why throughout this process, I've been working on self-love. I've been working on you know self-healing throughout it. because. It was a lot. It was too much. And think about it. In Michael Jordan's case, 
you know, with the fact of just the last dance, could you imagine being in that mindset, knowing that people were doubting you because of, can the Bulls really do it? Can the Bulls really win another championship? You know, when you're facing doubters and critics and all these other people, and it's like, it's never ending. But Michael was the type of person that was so focused, not self-centered, not selfish. He was focused. He was focused at the real task at hand. And players arguably hated him for that, but respected him because of it. That's why, they, that's why this documentary, everybody turned around and said, he pushed us. We hated it. I mean, Steve Kerr got a... <laughs> Steve Kerr ended up getting punched in the face for it. But in the end, that's what they needed. They needed that extra push. Listen, in, in this life and even in everyday life, what is the one thing that gives you the extra push? I, I, I ask you this. What is the one thing in your life that gives you extra push to keep moving forward, to keep you focused, shape your view, shape exactly who you are? If there are bad habits that you know that you've had even throughout this whole process in the past couple of months, do something about it. Change it. Change it for the better, for yourself, not for the sake of others. Because only they will see the changes you make and it will determine whether or not if if it just comes to, oh man, I wish I could do that. Or you know what? I like this. I enjoy this. That's the way that I've lived my life. One pitch at a time. Because you know what? That's why I love baseball so much and why I'm so pissed off that baseball's not going on right now. Because you don't know what life is going to throw at you every pitch at a time. You don't know that. Regardless of how much time, regardless of how many days, weeks, months, years, life will throw you anything. The real question in the, in the determination you should ask yourself is, how am I going to adjust to the pitch? What do I need to do to better prepare myself for that? That's why every day I get up, I go to work, do what I need to. And, and live a, a, a sustaining life. Something where I enjoy it. You know, because I've been there. I've been there. And listen, in my personal life, and I'm not going to express it too much, but I was in a position where I was bouncing house to house and place to place. And, and what was hard about that is, is because whenever I was growing relationships, you know, whether it was friendships, um, acquaintances, it was tough. Because I wouldn't stay in one place. It was tough. But in the end, you know, I look at it now as a 25-year-old. It shaped me to the position that where I am now. I love where I am. I love the position that I'm in now. Now, were there scars, were there heartbreaks, and were there kind of some, you know, unmasked truths I had to see and I had to process? Absolutely. But that's all part of the growth process. That's all part of it. That's why when I look at sports right now and what it means in life, when you get up every day, that's why I loved watching Kobe. That's why I love watching Jordan. That's why I love watching certain players and athletes. 
I don't watch them because of just the popularity. I watch them because what are they doing every day to better themselves as an athlete and to better themselves as a human being? Because look, we all make mistakes. We all had failures in our lives, but we didn't drown our heads in failures. We took those failures, learned from them, moved on, and we tried it again, but we tried them in different circumstances. That's what's the best thing. That's why arguably when we get sports back, especially in the middle of a pandemic and a, and a divided country, here's the thing. You know when we talked about, and I'm not trying to get political, but you know when we ended up talking about building a wall? We don't physically need a wall to see how divided we are as a country and as, as a nation. It's there. It's all around us. The problem of it is there are certain people who don't see that. That's what's the tension. That's what's the clash. And that is something to where me, I'm a, like, I'm all about looking for a silver lining. I'm all about looking for balance. I'm all about bashing walls and unification and understanding and resolution. That's what I'm all about. Because look, I do this show every weekend. And I always try to find solutions and resolutions to every single problem. Now, is it my opinion that matters? Maybe not. But it's something. It's something out there. Regardless if I take credit or not. But in the end, when I look at sports, I don't look at it as just a quote-unquote distraction. I look at it as an opportunity of unification. Because I think sports has impacted us in our lives in so many ways. That's why when I look at baseball, we played through wars. We played through uh, a, a depression. We played through two weeks after 9-11 hit. And we're in the middle of a pandemic in a divided country and we're not playing baseball. Like, it, it, it's weird to me. It's weird. I would have never thought this way with baseball. But again, I have my views. I have my perspectives. And I always keep them to myself. But when we have sports back, that's the type of unification I think we all need. It ain't about just distracting us from the real problem. I think what it's doing it is, is it's uplifting us. It's giving us a different view. So when we come across the issues, maybe, maybe we'll have a different perspective. Maybe we'll have a much better one where it's a much better delivery. I, at least that's what I think. I don't know what all I don't know what many of my fans or my viewers would think, but that's just kind of how I see it. So that's why I'm excited that finally sports will be coming back and we'll have something new. And I can't wait for it any longer. It's going to be a lot of fun. Time now for the hot press. So here's what's kind of interesting here. Uh, Connor McDavid, um, one of the superstar forwards of the Edmonton Oilers, um, he had um, he made a, a retired a retired carpenter in San Diego made him richer than ever before, more than a hundred grand richer. In fact, uh, the fifteen sixteen upper deck the Cup rookie patch autograph card was sold at a bid for $135,811.20. 
and it was at a Leland Spring Classic Auction on Friday. The sale price includes a 20% fee that goes to the auction house. Um, but man, was that crazy. So this was the this was kind of just the uh you know, this this was the card. So what it had So this one was a one of a kind item. It was out of a, a 99 card run. Um this was card 97, which of course is Connor McDavid's number. And um, and this was a this was a special one. Like you know, it, it's one of those rare ones you never really come across all the, all the time. But I thought I thought that was awesome. I thought that was very very awesome. And uh, yeah, made made a made a retired carpenter's day. You know, absolutely. So and, and it sold for 135k. That's crazy. So, um, rumored sources in college, in college football, and of course, one of the biggest college football programs, Clemson, uh, 23 players from what we've heard out of the 28 have tested positive, uh, for COVID-19. So a lot of them belong to the football players. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's not a guy like Trevor Lawrence, because I'm sure that that would be the biggest headliner, um, in all of college football, the second his name gets out there, I think that would be just crazy and nuts. Um, and I just don't think people would be ready to bear that yet. So, um, but I think that at this point, because I, I've said this before, I think that we are going to come to a time that we're probably going to have to deal with this again in the fall time. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be as simple as people think, but I'm very, very glad that they are conducting tests and are trying to at least ensure the safety of all of the players, especially these collegiate athletes and so many others. Um, but this will be interesting. This will be very, very interesting in the coming days. Um, so I, I again, I, as I've said, I'm glad that these tests are being conducted, but, um, but again, you know, a, a lot of questions are kind of popping out and hopefully, you know, we'll have something, we'll have something in, 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 you know, in the next couple of days that hopefully will be a resolution. So, uh, news in hockey, even though that we're talking about, you know, these hub cities and everybody's returning to their training facilities. So, uh, one team in particular who have closed down their facility. So, the Tampa Bay Lightning, there were three players who tested positive for COVID-19, and it ended up forcing themselves to shut down their facilities. Now, they also shut down their facility in Tampa Bay because of the uh, COVID-19 outbreak, which, you know, involved some of the uh, some of the, the folks in the beaches, you know, during the, the spring breaks and summer breaks. Um, so this is kind of just a big deal because you know what the Tampa Bay Lightning, as I've said, they're they're a team that I expect them to, um, you know, I, I I truly expect them to be the 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 Eastern Conference favorite to going into the Stanley Cup Final. But this is probably going to be a big curveball for them because if they can't end up getting into the facility, hopefully, and we'll see because I know they got the Florida Panthers, I know they've got their facility open, but. If they're able to share that kind of facility with them, I mean that would be great. But this is a bit this is a big, big break. This is a big time curveball for the Tampa Bay Lightning, especially for their players. 
Um, they've got some very impactful players, as I've said before. This pause happened. Tampa Bay's got a chip on their shoulder, and I expect them to be an Eastern Conference final um, contender. I do. I really do think that this is finally going to be the year that they're the contender for the Eastern Conference in the, the Stanley Cup final. I've said it about them, and I've even said it about the Vegas Golden Knights. I think this is definitely going to be the year. Um, but we'll see. We'll see exactly what happens in the coming days, but this is a big curveball hit for the Tampa Bay Lightning. All right, there was your hot press. So coming up next, as I said, I'm going to be talking about all these uh, NFL quarterbacks when we come into year two and a couple of them that I think are going to be very, very impactful because I just think that we kind of speculate some of these young quarterbacks. I've already did my speculations on the rookie quarterbacks coming into this year, but now it's going to be the ones that are going into year two. And there are a couple of them that are going to surprise you. Don't go anywhere. Snake Sports Talk Show.
All right, everyone. I hope that you guys have a great weekend ahead as well and have a beautiful Saturday here. I know I'm definitely going to be hitting up the gym. I got my trainer and everything else um, <clears throat> today. I'm so excited. I can't wait to go and see him. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's been way, way too long, it's been months long. And so very, very glad to be getting back into the groove of things. And, you know, like I said, just kind of you know, changing some things up. And I really, really do. Um, like I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the time that I had there because honestly, like, you know, it kind of changed up a little of my healthy habits, um, starting to eat healthier and starting to kind of work more and, and just live the best, the best healthy lifestyle. And that's everything in my life. Um, so kind of going aside from that. So here we go. So the NFL quarterbacks, here's my thing about this. I've said this about all the rookie quarterbacks. I think Joe Burrow may have, I hope he has a really, really good career. I think he will, but it's going to be a rocky start in his rookie season because of the fact that right away he's facing off against the best top tier defenses in the NFL. Tua, I think now, and thank goodness for the pandemic, but you know, it gave him time off to kind of help to heal his hip, uh, stay healthy. And I think eventually we will see uh, Tua much sooner than later be the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. Um, you know, Justin Herbert, I think he's going to have a fabulous career with the Chargers. Now, there were some rumored sources, and I agree with this, like thinking he should get another chances, is Colin Kaepernick uh, currently. Because with everything that's been going on and everything that kind of shaped itself to where here we are now, I think Colin Kaepernick does deserve a chance to, to get himself back up on the field and get himself a minicamp. And right now, the Chargers are very open to it. Um, and I think that that would be interesting. But we'll see what happens in the coming days. And there are lots of other rookie quarterbacks that I think will do very, very well. Uh, Jalen Hurts, as I've said, a lot of people don't really think highly of it. But I think Philadelphia, they're gonna they're gonna make this thing work. If you think of Doug Peterson and the rookie and the uh, the the past quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks he's had, I mean Nick Foles, he came out of a Super Bowl championship, even though that they were already stacked as a roster. Um, but when Carson Wentz was hurt. Josh McCown was able to come in, and he was a little bit of a productive quarterback. But I, I just think that Jalen Hurts is probably the best insurance policy for the Philadelphia Eagles. So here's what I looked at here. There are tons of quarterbacks who are going into year two of the season. And there are some, and what's interesting about this is because pro football focus to me, honestly, has <laughs> they've gone to a point where I used to, like, I love their stat lines. But their rankings are so just interesting, and it's just to a point where I'm like, I, I, I don't agree with it. There are some things I agree with, and then there are some that I'm just like, I just feel like it's a little bit of irrelevancy. Um, but it's nothing against pro football focus. I just think that the whole focus of it all is a little bit off-tune. But here's my thing of it. So there are a couple of quarterbacks who are going into year two, and that is... Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, uh, and there are a bunch of them. There are a bunch of them out there. But I, I look at it this way. I think Kyler Murray is going to have a popping year two. Because think about it. Out of all the quarterbacks that we had a season ago, 
Lamar Jackson popped in year two. Um, Patrick Mahomes in year two. He popped. He didn't even start. He only had one game start in his rookie season, and then by year two in his full season, he was the absolute best quarterback in the league. Lamar Jackson comes in in his rookie year. Average numbers, pretty good numbers, and then pops by year two. Sam Darnold, you know, his rookie season was very, very good. Interesting. I think had a lot to learn in it. Um, but even he tried to pop. And but by the the by close to the end of the year, Sam Darnold started to pop. He started to really be the quarterback. And then there's Josh Allen, which nobody thinks highly of. But then Josh Allen, by year two, he popped. That's why when I look at some of these quarterbacks and like Kyler Murray in this point, I love watching Kyler Murray. And I'll very much enjoy watching him now that he's got Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. He's got some weapons. He's got some weapons. Now the run game will be a little questionable, but I do trust a little bit of Kenyon Drake. And I think he'll do just fine. But Arizona and Cliff Kingsbury, I think they are very much going to make this puppy work. Now, the only questions that I do have about Arizona is how their, their defensive secondaries is going to shape up. Because outside of Patrick Peterson, which other defensive secondary can I trust in either the corner or the safety position? That's going to be interesting to watch. But... I would I I would honestly have a fun time watching uh, Kyler Murray throw beautiful deep ball throws to DeAndre Hopkins and to Larry Fitzgerald because I think that look regardless of size I mean this kid's athletic this kid plays both football and baseball I mean he's the type that I would say is a world class athlete in my opinion that's the way that I look at it and, uh, oh, by the way, Pro Football Focus had something to say about Daniel Jones. But listen, I think we all kind of doubted Daniel Jones in the wrong perspective. I think we all have. But I will tell you this, kid can play. This kid can play. I think what the perspective of it was, and it wasn't just because he came out of a school like Duke, which doesn't really produce too many good football players, at least ones that that make it to the NFL. But if you think about it, the coach that he had at Duke actually seen his strengths. That's probably why he was a top 10 draftee um, in the draft. But once he came out, and when Eli Manning took a step back, Daniel Jones came in, and I think he'll be the next big thing. I think Daniel Jones is ready to pop in year two because look at it this way. Look at all of these quarterbacks who had, he had they had good rookie seasons, but it wasn't the rookie seasons that they were worried about. It was the second year in the NFL. They all popped. Patrick Mahomes popped. Lamar Jackson popped. Josh Allen popped. All these quarterbacks by year two ended up popping in their second year. Isn't that kind of interesting? I think part of that is is because you're adjusting to the play style in the NFL that by the rookie year, it may seem a little bit overwhelming and it may seem a little bit pressurized 
But the second you learn more about the playbook, you get to know the players, you get to know um, everybody in the staff and the coaching staff, you start to get comfortable. You build a level of comfortability. And which is why that I think that in certain systems, it works. It works. John Harbaugh and Baltimore took a risk at Lamar Jackson. And he became their successor. Now he has yet to win playoff games. And that'll be a question for the near future and hopefully by next season, if he can. But he's their successor. Patrick Mahomes. If Kansas City was all about winning games, they wouldn't have drafted him. They would have stuck with Alex Smith and they just would have won games. They probably wouldn't have been able to win a Super Bowl. But Andy Reid and all of them looked at Patrick Mahomes and said, this kid is our future. This is the quarterback I've been waiting for. And Andy Reid knows it. I mean, look, he had Donovan McNabb. He had a lot of these different quarterbacks, but didn't have the quarterback that popped. Until Patrick Mahomes arrived, he popped as a quarterback and now is a Super Bowl champion. Um, Josh Allen, nobody thought highly of because they thought Josh Allen was very inaccurate. Um, just throws the ball, slings it. They think of it as like, you know, a Brett Favre effect. But here's the thing. Josh Allen, since coming into the NFL versus where he was in Wyoming, he changed as a quarterback. He changed his play style and his play calling as a quarterback. That's why, that's why I don't think very low about some of these quarterbacks that go into year two and they start popping. I mean, Buffalo made the playoffs. I think Buffalo's bound to win the AFC East. I really do think they will. But, you know, this is the type of year that Buffalo, there's no excuses for them. There's no excuses for them. And Sean McDermott is such an undervalued coach. That's why I think this thing with, with Josh Allen it works because it puts him into a system that he's comfortable with. Now he has a wide receiver and stuff on digs that is his number one target, and he utilizes everyone. So Buffalo's got a for sure thing here. I'm not sure if there are a team that's guaranteed getting through in the playoffs because you still got Kansas City and you got Baltimore, but it, it it's a for sure thing for years. So when I look at Daniel Jones, and I'm not sure the type of coaching style that Joe Judge is used to because he's out of Belichick's tree, so I don't know too much about Joe Judge, but I can tell you this. No Saquon Barkley, no Darius Slayton, um, no Sterling Shepard, and no Evan Ingram. Daniel Jones can play. Daniel Jones can play, even with no offensive line. That's why I think it's going to be a little rocky. And that's why I had the Giants at seven and nine, maybe eight and eight. But with everybody healthy, and like I said, there were some positives through this pandemic, gave these guys plenty of rest, got them back to being 110% healthy. But now when it's, when it's go time, it's go time. You're getting Saquon Barkley back healthy, and you're getting all these players healthy. Now imagine what Daniel Jones can do from there. That's why I think Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones are definitely going to pop in year two. And there are also some other quarterbacks that I think are going to pop in year two as well. Um, but it's just like, I just had to get, a, get that out the way that these quarterbacks, 
you're speculating them way too low. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But, well, guys, that's going to conclude for this show. I thank you so much for ju- for joining me and then tuning in and just getting the t- chance to hang out and watching the show. Uh, I really, really do appreciate it. As I've said, um, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter and Instagram on all my social media platforms. Also, subscribe to the Spotlight Sports Network, your home for the Snake Sports Talk Show, and also subscribe to the Snake Sports Talk Show as well to get more of me. And also follow me on the on the Spotify app for all of my latest podcasts. I'm going to be getting that back up and rolling. So all of you guys have a great Saturday morning and have a great weekend ahead. And tune in tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to have a lot more to talk about here. You don't want to miss that on the Snake Sports Talk Show. Take care.